Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Scrubbed In podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the last few episodes. This week we're joined by another super special guest. We have with us Azim, um, who's a recent surgical FP doctor working in central London. He's super smart, he's got a bunch of clinical research under his belt and he has more than 25 publications to his name. Not only that, he's the co-founder of Bite Medicine, which I'm sure pretty much the whole country is aware of. And he's, you know, the cool part, the part I want to talk about the most is he's a songwriter, he's flew out to LA um, where he spent six months doing songwriting. Um, but thank you for coming into the show, Azim. How are you feeling? No, thank you so much for having me on. That's a, that's a very nice introduction. Thank you. I'm blushing. No, it's, no, it's fine, <laughs> bro. It's fine. So there's so much to talk about and I'm trying to think where's the best place to talk about. So why don't we kind of talk about med school? how medical was for you mm. and how you kind of made that decision. You wanted to be an AFP candidate rather than a conventional one. So kind of walk us through medical. How was medical for you? What prompted you to become a doctor in the first place? Oh, what prompted me to become a doctor? Um, so I wanted, I wanted to be a songwriter initially, hence why oh, I've taken time out yeah. to do songwriting. Um, we can talk mm. about that later, but yeah, that, that was a big turning point in that. I was either, I was either, gonna always be a doctor like that's something that every single person in my family has done since the beginning of time so it's kind of like a natural mm. thing for me to go into um and then obviously med school mm. itself uh it was a big learning experience i think the jump from a levels to med school was pretty big um and i think the first few mm. years was just actually learning how to revise probably spending a bit too much time chilling and then you know, uh, you know when push came to shove like fourth year final year after intercalating um i probably worked mm. a, a lot harder than i did in the first few years and then that's when i kind of started getting into research and um i started really enjoying academia so it kind of made sense for me to progress down the academic route rather than the routine foundation program makes sense and it so you are doing a surgical afp post is that something you want to kind of pursue long-term surgery as to medicine yeah or was it something that was ideal for you at the time yes i mean i i ranked that job as, as my top job and i was very grateful to get it and i think you know having gone through the afp which was specifically in vascular surgery i think it's i'm not sure if i want to go specifically into vascular but i think i'm definitely leaning towards surgery i've done like part surgery. a of my mrcs okay. exams um, so I think okay. uh, I think so. I'm still trying to figure it out, but I think it's sounds most likely. Yeah. Fair. That that sounds good. I, I'm still picking up my jaw from the floor because after I read, you got more than 25 publications to your name. What's the secret, bro? Yeah, Why yeah, you yeah. have to tell us that secret? <laughs> what is the secret? <laughs> We're pinning you down here. Tell us. <laughs> oh god. Well, well <laughs> I wish there was. There's really no secret. It's kind of like take it till you make it. It's how I went around my yeah. academic career, if you could call it that. Um, yeah. <laughs> people ask me that question a lot, and I think um, like I went into an integrated BSc, you know, between third and fourth yeah. year at med school. I had no research background. I had no connections in research. I'd never written a paper in my life. I didn't really know the difference between, you know, narrative review, systematic review. I didn't really know much. So going into yeah. this degree, the real thing that changed my life from an academic point of view was just meeting a really supportive and hands-on supervisor. And I think there's a few times in your life where okay. you meet people that can really change things for you in a positive way. Um, mm -hmm. And meeting that supervisor, yeah. honestly, without him, 
and his mentorship, I wouldn't have gone on to the AFP. I probably wouldn't be working in central London. So that really opened a lot of doors for me. And I think it was just learning as you go along and um, learning from your mistakes, writing some not so great papers and then learning from that. And then eventually, before you know it, you've churned out a whole bunch of papers. So there's no real special trick to it. It's just sticking to deadlines and uh, trying to find someone who can mentor you through that process, I reckon. Yeah, sounds good. And I think you just touched on something. I want to kind of explore it with you. So it seemed Mm. for you, you went into a very supportive, conducive academic environment, whereas me speaking to other, let's say, PhD scientists, other medics, some of the academic departments they were working within seemed very competitive, a very doggy mm. dog. You know, there wasn't very supportive, conducive behavior. Is that something you experienced or something that you are aware that kind of exists in this academic world? Yeah, I mean, it, it's that's a really important question. I mean, it definitely exists in that I've heard countless friends, mm. colleagues who have kind of gone through that. They've met mentors or supervisors, which on the surface look like they have your best interests in heart and then at heart and then often you'll put in a lot of work your name won't be as a co-author you'll be in the acknowledgements you won't get that pubmed id you won't get the points that you need and it is doggy doggin i think medicine itself can breed those types of personalities so i don't think it's just in academia i think it's probably a little bit of both i think having gone through med school and everyone who has Mm. i think you'll meet people who are a little bit down that cutthroat you know, that personality that's a little bit more cutthroat. Yeah. And I think finding yeah. people, whether it's mentors, supervisors, friends at med school, whoever it is, um, you just mm. got to try and find the good apples, I guess. But like, I'm very grateful in that Definitely. I haven't had that experience, but it's, it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, it seemed, yeah, speaking to a few people, it seems it's very difficult navigating through that world. And it seems what may have happened with you is you find a very good bunch of academic and professors and if you kind of stick with along with them you can learn mm. from them and you can refine your skills to the point where like you are churning out publications um, yeah. on a regular basis which is quite Definitely. reassuring to see um, yeah and it it kind of gives it's easy said like, than like, done cool. yeah. yeah yeah it's like it's definitely sure. easier me saying it in hindsight obviously going through it yeah. is, it's a lot more difficult to pick out the uh the best uh, in the bunch i guess fair enough but co- collaborative that collaborative environment starts with us though isn't it if we, mm. we if we become collaborative with our juniors and our colleagues, you'll notice it because I think Mr. Manyali, the ENT surgeon who was on our podcast, talked about this as well. Mm. About yeah. whatever grade you're at, you need to find a mentor who's one or two stages ahead of you and provide mm. each other value. Absolutely. Um, and so I, I I've noticed that that environment that Abdul talks about of the the toxic academic environment. But I think if we look at ourselves first and start with ourselves. You can mm. turn it on its head and hopefully 25 turns into 50. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, I totally agree. Like, that's a very introspective way to look at it, but it's kind of, it's a little bit cliche, but you know, it's like be the change that you want to see type of thing. And that, you know, we've all been through this. Often you may have met people who, who have been a bit more cutthroat and no one wants to go through that. So uh, mm. you're right. Like let the change start within yourself. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, so the more interesting part which i found was quite fascinating is so having done you know your academic two years post graduating Mm. you took out this f3 year which is proving to be a lot more popular as time kind of goes on and you kind of decided to fly out to la and do songwriting tell us a bit more about how you got into songwriting 
is it something that you've always loved doing as a as a kid growing up tell us a bit more because i want to kind of see that aspect of your life how did it all start yeah i think uh, i think it's always a bit rogue when uh, i mean like my parents for example when i told them my f3 plan um to move to la Man. for six months obviously <laughs> it's, it's it's something you don't really hear very often um a doctor going into any type of music i guess um but yeah how yes, it all yeah. started i i guess um I was forced as a child from a very young age to learn the guitar, which I'm very grateful to my parents for. So I remember being like four or five years old and learning to play guitar. And I think, you know, when I was going through that, it was it was very intense and I, I wasn't a big fan. But, uh, <laughs> you know, looking back on it, I'm, I'm very grateful. So that's kind of how I, I started in music. Neither of my parents nor my sister or anyone in my family are particularly musical, to be honest. Um, but then my, my parents bought a piano. No one in the house could play the piano. I'm not entirely sure why they bought it, even to this day. Um, they kind of just put it in the living room and I hoped. I hoped it's quite a cool thing to have, them. man. If I ever make it, I'm going to get a Stainfield. Is it what it's called? Stainfield? I don't know if the term is right. Yeah. I'm showing my, my yeah. hood my hood development, yeah. is it? So I'm going to get a, f- a big grand piano, stick it in my fat living room. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm a Even if no one can play it, just put it there. Exactly. That's, <laughs> what, it, that's it what it is. It is. I think it's such a cool thing to have. Uh, yeah, have you learned to play the piano by any chance yet? Or Yeah, so, so that was a few years ago. Yeah. And I kind of just learned. I just yeah. I, I learned guitar. And then I just, I think I was pretty young. So I just noticed that the noises were the same. But one was a string and one ah, was okay. a key. So I kind of taught myself yeah. the piano. Um, and then I taught myself oh, wow. how to sing. And then this kind of got to... I got to the age of like 14, 15 years old. I was playing loads of, um, I think it was PS3 back at the time. I had been PS4, but a lot of uh, like Call of Duty, yeah. Assassin's Creed. And I was really, you know, wait, yeah. I don't know, like wasting time or, you know, spending a lot of time doing that. And I thought, you know, maybe I can start putting my guitar, piano and singing skills and start mm. writing song. So that's kind of mm. what I did, mainly just like to de-stress and stop wasting time. So... That's yeah. how I got into songwriting specifically. I then entered a bunch of local competitions, which I managed to win a few of those, and I became semi-finalist yeah. in the UK songwriting contest. And that's what really oh, opened wow. most of the doors. Yeah, thank you. Um, and then, yeah, I got the opportunity to move to the States when I was 17, and I started writing with some cool people yeah. out there. And then, like I said right at the start, that's kind of when that fork in the road happened, and I thought, you know, am I going to move to the States yeah essentially to become a songwriter full-time um or should i become a doctor like every person in my family has ever been before (laughs) uh yeah so that's how it all that's how it all started really sounds and i know you've worked with like a few super famous people i don't know if you can mention any names but Mm. it'd be good for our listeners to kind of get an insight yeah um are you allowed to share any yeah i mean so i mainly write pop r&b lovey-dovey music kind of stuff um yeah. which which uh which is basically the stuff that you hear on here on the radio so when i moved to la for these six months um essentially how, how songwriting works i'm not sure how much you guys know about modern day commercial no, songwriting th- that's what i was gonna yeah. ask how does it work so how do, you, yeah. how do you get involved in this sort of industry it's uh it's i mean it's a lot of cold emailing that's how i got into it initially that's that's how you can get into most things these days is, is learning this art yeah. of cold emailing yeah. Um, and it's, it's the music industry, like a lot of things in life, is really who you know. 
not necessarily what you know yeah, um, and i guess say, yeah yeah like you just I, I created a portfolio of work and i sent these demos to a bunch of people these mm. are like agents ARs, managers whoever it may be publishers and record labels um, and once you have those contacts how it works which, which to this day i still think is pretty crazy is that you'll have a, a list of artists that so the two labels that I worked with the most are Atlantic Records and Warner Brothers. They'll have a list of artists oh, wow. oh, with wow. projects. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, they'll have a list of artists with projects that are coming out in the next six months to one year. So some of the projects I worked yeah. on in LA were John Legend, Charlie Puth, Kalani, um, Kelly Clarkson. Wow. So th those are. Give us a second to process that, man. <laughs> we, we, we need a minute silence. We're just staring at each other yeah, like, yeah. what? <laughs> Obviously, you left, you left your jaw on the floor. Let me put that back up on again, bro. We need. Any <laughs> so this is this is from this is from. So am I correct? You sort of identified sort of the industry uh, people, the agent, and you mm. just emailed your way, way into that. I weaselled my way in, bro. <laughs> I, uh, I just. I, can't, I, I That I, is I, awesome. <laughs> like to. That is awesome to me. It just shows like the power of reaching out. Like a lot of us, we, mm. we sit there and we, we just think, oh, I can't reach them. I can't reach out. But through an email, we're able to reach. You've written for yeah. John Legend. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I mean, like how wow. it works is they, they will send you a yeah. list of artists and then you will write a bunch of songs that you hope one day will appear on that album. So like the songwriting yeah. process is super long you could write a song and you won't hear anything from your agent or manager whoever it may be for six months one year two years three years and then suddenly you'll get yeah. an email saying it's it's been played so these are all artists i've written for and i'm still kind of waiting to hear mm. back whether these will be on albums or not but um yeah i mean i managed to get in the room with some of these people and that was it it was great fun oh wow yeah so uh yeah. so am i right in thinking that you kind of write a song mm. and so you write the song and then artists kind of look at the song and then be like okay do you know what this resonates with me this is something that's up my alley i'm going to record it sing it but mm. you don't know if it's going to be in their next album if it's going to be the next single it can it can, can it be like years before it kind of gets released Absolutely. or they might sing it record it and be like do you know what i don't like it anymore yeah 100 percent. it happens all the time and that that's why you know songwriting as a career is, is can be lucrative and that you can make a lot of money if you hit the right spots but often you won't like your, yeah. your royalty checks are processed every quarter so it's not like you get paid on an hourly basis or anything so if you get a song placed first of all from the point yeah, of writing yeah. that song to getting it placed can be years so like love the way you lie yeah. with rihanna okay. and eminem took months i think it was years from the point mm. that it was written to anyone wanting to sing it at all or rap over it so that's the problem yeah. in that you have months and years of no money coming in because you're still waiting for songs like to get delay, placed delay. and when exactly and then once they're placed you still get paid every three months so Absolutely. often yeah. there'll be times where you have no money coming in at all so it's uh it's difficult yeah. but it takes time I was, so i was gonna ask like so what's the difference because i remember like drake i don't know if it was last year or a few years ago where he was getting slack for using ghostwriters mm. is that some is that the same thing or is that like a totally different thing and i don't know why he was getting slack for it yeah because um, it's, it's what a pretty the um, what, what does that term mean yeah it's a uh ghostwriters are controversial they, they still exist quite a lot so how, how ghostwriters yeah. so the difference between a ghostwriter and a co-writer a co-writer is someone yep. who writes a song with the artist or separately mm. to the artist, but has some input in that song. 
they will then get a proportion yeah. of the publishing, i.e. a proportion of yeah. the royalties made by that song, and then they are listed as mm. a, a co-writer. So they are credited on the song. How yeah. what a ghostwriter is, and why it's kind of a little bit more controversial, is that they are not listed as co-writers, so they're, they're ghosts, essentially, and they are essentially paid oh, off so that an artist like Drake can put their name on it. If that makes sense. I see. Oh, so, I see. So they claim credit to the work someone itself. else's work. I see. Yeah. It, ve- it varies ah, in okay, terms no of the, yeah. from project to project. But I think the controversial part is just, yeah. um, you know, getting paid and not having your name on it and someone else taking credit for your work is uh, it's questionable. But it happens a lot. Ah, fair. It's interesting. And I was kind of looking into it and it seemed to me where it's if a singer kind of kind of gets a chart top or like the number one best single they become even more famous but mm. there's never ever mention of the songwriter the person that actually wrote the song is it like yeah. an in-house thing where among songwriters everyone knows okay you wrote that that bestseller or you wrote that amazing song whereas to the general public or like the general layperson like me i wouldn't know who the songwriters are for some of these banging mm. songs do you know what i mean is yeah is there a reason why is i think it's a bit unfair i don't know what your stance is on it yeah, I think I think you're so. right in that um, if unless you're in the industry to some degree, you often there's no real reason for you to want to look up writers or producers unless you have some interest in it, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. So, like, I'm a massive fangirl for songwriters. I have I have my world famous songwriters yeah. in my head and like people that I've always wanted to work yeah. with just because they have written every single song on the radio in the last twenty years. So this guy called Max Martin, who is my absolute okay. idol in songwriting and he's written everything from yeah. you know britney spears when she did like oops i did it again up till you know the weekend <laughs> i can't feel my face and everything in between over the last mm, 20 I love years that song, yeah yeah so like yeah but then, like i said you know unless you're a fangirl like me you you often you you're not really going to really look into it because it seems as if you guys are the real talent you know the people behind the scenes that kind of make a song a song but then again mm. i get you know it's, it's them singing it would you ever kind of go down the route where you sing some of the stuff you write or do you feel that songwriting is your little sweet spot your little niche and you want mm. to go down that route yeah i it's, it's something i've always thought about i guess the, the main reasons i chose to write music for other people are probably twofold yeah. in that i've never really liked massive amounts of attention going on stage you know and and that kind of Absolutely. stuff i you People who go into songwriting are generally quite introverted, introspective type people who kind of hide in the shadows and actually enjoy that. So that's what I like. I like yeah. someone else bringing my idea to life. I don't like those that mm. massive amount of attention. And you know how how songwriting works, which is actually super interesting, is that when you have a session yeah. in a recording studio, yeah. often what will happen mm-hmm. is that you're chucked in this room with a bunch of people that you've never met before. And you have to kind of explore yeah. your deepest, darkest emotions and hope oh, wow. that it comes into something yeah. beautiful. Oh. And like, that's a very yeah. kind of raw experience. And that, that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy because I just think it's, it's just a crazy thing to do rather than performing. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Ah, fair. So you, you derive like contentment and happiness from that aspect of it, which I think is, mm. is great. And I imagine it's probably the reason as to why lots of songwriters are very good at what they do. I yeah. Think you're probably a lot a deep thinker kind of can reflect and ponder and produces amazing pieces of work. So it's very fun. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I like to think of, I'm like, I guess the the other thing is, you know, everyone has their own way to relieve stress. So if I'm 
working yeah. in A&E, you know, writing a short, yeah. relatively crap song yeah. is my way to relieve yeah. stress. No one ever needs to hear it. Like, I'm sure you guys have your own ways to relieve stress when things come, come a little too sure. much, right? Yeah. Mm. yeah. No, I think it's good. And it's nice to see your you know a lot of medics have these other facets to them they don't they're not just medicine day in day night and they breathe and live medicine do you know what i mean <laughs> it's always nice interesting to see people that they have other hobbies outside of medicine and i'm pro yeah. that like if it helps you de-stress if it helps you switch off from work go for mm. it yeah um, agreed so i think the other facet uh, the other facet to yourself is obviously bite medicine Mm. Um, that you've started up, which is more in the educational field. What, what was? How did the inception of bite medicine begin? Tell us a little oh, bit. Oh, that's a, <laughs> a funny story. So I guess I feel um, like that's like a whole episode or something. Yeah, but yeah. I was going to say I'll try. I'll try not to like rant about it for the next twenty minutes. I'll keep it short. No, of course, bro. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we all love a rant, so go yeah. even go for it. <laughs> <laughs> There's humble beginnings, guys. Like it's um, it started when a good mm-hmm. friend of mine now Schwab during F1 at St Thomas's we met um this was probably like a year and a half ago now and we've been through kind of the, system, the medical education system we know the resources that are out there everyone kind of learns in the same way they buy the Oxford handbook they try and read it they use resources like past medicine and past test um and then mm-hmm. you kind of hope that by the time you get to the wards when you're in F1 you've managed to synthesize that information in a way that actually makes you a reasonable doctor. The issue with that that we found is that you are not really taught things in a way that you can understand the entire patient journey. So what we wanted to do was to yeah, create an, an online platform where you could have mm-hmm. questions based on that entire patient journey, all the way from when they present, all the way to when they're diagnosed and their prognosis. And if you can answer you know, 10, 20, 30 questions based on that one presentation, you're going to have a much better understanding yeah. of the condition. So we kind of came up this, with this concept of multi-step, single best answer questions. I think we were having lunch one day and we were like, that sounds like a pretty mm. weird, cool thing to do. So that's kind of when the idea mm. came mm. about. And we thought, you know, we can hold live events in person where people can come and meet us. We can hold interactive events. We can want to produce a textbook like a physical OSCE textbook, we want to produce an online textbook, we want to hold webinars, and we had all these crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so nothing really happened for a little while, mainly because, you know, F1, F2 is pretty intense. Um, and we, yeah. we, the first thing we did was hold these pretty average events in really cheap, dodgy hotel rooms in London, um, like in basements, <laughs> in like conference rooms. And it, it was... Uh... I, I probably know a few. <laughs> <laughs> It was like very, very dodgy rooms doing medical conferences. <laughs> like, honestly, like really dodgy underground conference rooms, and like ones that smelt a little bit. And it was like a very, very weird yeah. way mm-hmm. to start the company. Um, but kind of, we got the feedback from that. We we learned how to do our events properly. We then had a lot of sleepless yeah. nights and made this OSCE textbook. And just like going back to cold emailing, we basically cold emailed as many cool sounding registrars and consultants as we could just to be like, please, can you review our textbook so that we can sell it? So that was kind of the initial thing is, you know, these events, these textbooks. And then after that, COVID happened Mm. and we thought, Mm. you know, we can't hold physical events Mm. anymore. Our textbook is sold out and no one's going to print it anymore because all the printers are closed. And that's kind of when the webinar started 
um, which, you know, we started off getting 50 people signed up for the webinars and we were like over the moon and we thought that was it. And then, you know, three months down the line, I think we've taught almost 20,000 people, which is um, like to this day, we're still pretty shocked by. Um, and then I guess it's kind of just grown organically from there. But humble, humble beginnings. No, it sounds good. And to be fair, like you guys have stuck it. But what I like about biomedicine now is one, I love the name. Oh, thank but you. I, I, I'm a sucker for aesthetics. So I'm that guy, if I go to Sainsbury's or Asda and there's yeah. something new on the market and it, even if the packaging looks good, I'll buy it. Like mm. there have been times where I remember me and Amz used to live out and I don't know, it might be a new flavoured McVitie's whatever and the packaging <laughs> looks so good, I just bought it and it tasted like crap. I'm that guy, I'm a sucker <laughs> for aesthetics. So, you know, when I saw your bite med and we kind of got in touch, um, it looks very good, very nice and clean. And the advantage you have is we live in a world where everyone's a bit tech savvy. All medical students are all on Instagram. They're a bit more, mm. they appreciate and they value time and effort and aesthetic stuff and things being de- delivered in a very clean way. And yeah. you guys are very good at it. I've like I've looked at the, the, the exam bank and question bank online and we'll leave a link in the description below for people to mm. go and check it out. Mm. But um, cool. it's very good. And I, fi- it's, no, no, it I really a, appreciate it. A, a, I don't know, a very, yeah. It feels a very comfortable way of learning and studying, which I really like about it. So I've been a yeah. big fan as soon as I found out about it. And it's a shame I didn't know about it earlier because I would have plugged it even more. Mm. <laughs> so so, oh, very so COVID came along and you happen to have now taught over 15,000 students. Mm. How on earth did you manage all of that? How did you manage that all? with covid um, going on <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, are... with a whole pandemic going on <laughs> yeah the pandemic yes uh, it was a, it was a tricky one but uh, i think that i guess the benefit of taking an f3 year is that you don't have any you know permanent work commitments it's not like you have to go in every single day mm. you can work the hours that you mm, want true. so our team mm. kind of came together and we thought you know what's the best way to take advantage of this pretty horrific situation that mm. everyone is in yeah. kind of everyone sitting at mm. home no one can leave the house um, and i guess it's just adapting as a business like we describe ourselves as a business but really all it is is just a bunch of mates that came together wanting to change education so we kind of just had a group call together and we thought you know we can't hold these events we can't do much other than teach online um so then we we mm. just started our first webinar which was back in probably march time and then like i said yeah. things kind of spiraled out of control from there and because we didn't have any permanent work commitments or, or schwab and i didn't it just gave us quite a bit of time to um to actually produce the content like a lot of uh, a lot of sleepless nights still but uh yeah it's, it's been I'm, great i'm sure no cre- credit to you guys because i've actually met a lot of medical final year medical students as well who've all said things like we needed we needed someone to step up and sort of there was a huge gap that the medical schools were unfortunately not able to quickly fill it just because mm. of the, the time constraints when covid hit us all so for you guys to take it up and then provide them those lectures they all felt that well, majority of the ones that I came across felt that no, their their medical education wasn't disrupted in any way, and in fact, they thought it was a whole new dimension that they're going to carry forward, mm. uh, forwards into the next year or uh, their F one, F two in terms of the style of learning. I think you guys yeah. really popularize webinars, and it, it really does work. It really does work, mm. and I think technology has been really taken up now because of COVID, hasn't it? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I think the same with you guys is that this podcast, probably like from the looks of the numbers and things, has grown a lot during this time. Just because people 
are more on their phones and more on their computers they have more yeah. time because they didn't yeah. have their day-to-day commitments and going into work and like unless you adapt during this period that's what we found we probably wouldn't even have existed as a company by this point so um yeah, yeah i mean it's, mm. it's uh it's i think, been, yeah, I think it's been interesting just experience. learning 100 percent, and it's learning to adapt and kind of move with it and trying to make the best out of an awful situation which mm. covid as a pandemic unfortunately was um, yeah but yeah, I can easily see bite medicine being up there with past med, past test. And now I know you, I'd rather you be at the top of that of that mountain um, and soon to be the director of GKT, bro. Like unless, <laughs> in, in 10 years, I want to see you as the oh. dean of, of GKT, bro. Like I'm going to vote oh, for you. I, I don't do. know how it works. <laughs> I don't know how it works either, bro. <laughs> so, we can, so we can so claim much. to be your friends. That's yeah. what it is. <laughs> like, yeah, we knew as so we can claim to be, yeah, <laughs> we're his friends, by the way. Yeah, but, yeah no, it's definitely good. <laughs> So, that's fine, man. so Thank you. are you are you planning to are you coming towards the end of F3? Am I correct in thinking that you've yeah, so come I'm coming to the end of F3. And are you going into surgical training or how is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I got uh, here's another pretty rogue decision that my my family weren't totally on board with is that I, I got core surgical training um, for we next year. Awesome. I, uh, yeah. But I decided to turn it down because I wanted to go back to LA oh. and I wanted to <laughs> oh, focus wait, what? on yeah. <laughs> Music. I wanted to go back to LA, and I wanted. <laughs> we to just congratulated you. you. I know. <laughs> I, know. Nah, I mean, like, it's it's, you... it's, uh, yeah, it was a, uh, it was a weird. I think so. I got the offer when I was still out in LA, and I think I, I was out there like lying on the beach and in Santa Monica, and I was like, yeah. this is the life I want to live. The last thing I want to do is go into core surgical training right now. Um, and I think like that natural transition yeah, yeah. from F2 into whatever training program you end up going into, like now is the best time to take a year off, two years off. If you want to, like I wanted to focus on music, and, yeah, I, wanted I wanted to focus to. on, on fine medicine. Um, so I guess that, that was the logic behind it. Yeah. And mm. my, my family uh, freaked out a little bit, but uh, I'm still alive. They haven't killed me. And here we are. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. To, to Azim's parents, please hold off fire. Let us release the episode. Yeah. You may do whatever you do afterwards. Like, like, after the get, episode. After the episode, after he's all yours. Episode, then no, you can but do what you want. After the, yeah. But do you know what's interesting is what I like about you is you've kind of followed your passion. You stick to your guns. And at least, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, you won't have any regrets. And the other thing about medicine, which is quite beautiful in itself, is you can always go back into training. You can always do core surgical training when you feel like, you know what, I really want to be a surgeon now. And you can always mm. kind of go to that. Um, but yeah, I, I am yeah. pro going with your heart, follow your Absolutely. desires. That, that's what that, I like to hear. That's really cool. So so I guess over the next six months, are you going to be doing a few more cool sort of projects, writing several mm. pieces then? That's the plan. I mean, I think so, so. Songwriting has changed a lot during COVID, in that a lot of the sessions are, are done on Zoom or on Skype or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. still aren't meeting physically in studios yet. But it's probably going to happen pretty That's soon. I think. Fair enough. Realistically, I'll probably focus on the business side of things until February, March time, and then um, head mm-hmm. back head back around that time next year. But uh, like, I think the the benefit of like you're saying, you know, you can go into training whenever you want, and you know, your twenties is the t- in my mind anyway. The twenties is the time to focus on things and try to build this life that you want for yourself. And wherever you see yourself in 20, 100%. 30 years time, it's quite difficult to do those extra things if exactly. you're working every single day, working night shifts, and you're so tired. So you know, what's one year Absolutely. in the grand scheme of life? It's not much. 
Yeah, yeah, and and it's not a race. We're not racing to exactly to mm. get to a destination, is it? It's more focus on the journey now, isn't it? Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I definitely echo. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, we usually ask, you know, in terms of advice you'd give to like people, and I imagine there may be a few budding songwriters, singers, or artists. <laughs> what advice would you give to them? Like, kind of being exposed to the world, kind of exposed to that. I, to me it still feels a very secretive world like you know it's very hard to get a foot in the door what advice mm. would you give because I feel even if it's one listener they would derive some benefit from you yeah I mean like I guess my overall disclaimer is that I'm not really sure I should be one giving advice about songwriting and singing like yeah, I'm not yeah. I'm not a multi-platinum songwriter I haven't got a Grammy yet except but... you've only written for John Legend yeah, <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> we'll see if it comes out we'll see if the tracks come out but uh <laughs> Like, uh, it's, uh, I'm going to cold email guess, him to get it out. Yeah. Honestly, cold email him, he'll probably reply. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, I guess the only advice is, um, as cliche as it may sound, is, you know, if you believe in yourself, then that's the only way mm. other people will believe in you. And just reach out to people, regardless of whether mm. you think they will ever get back to you or not. As long as you're, the, I think it's very underrated, the, the beauty of just reaching out and cold emailing in a very professional way because people actually respond mm, people mm. do check their emails and you know from one moment you could if, yeah. if we're talking specifically about songwriting one minute you could just mm. be writing in your bedroom and if you send your email to the right person or the the link is received by the person who's meant to hear it then um yeah. you know the next day you could be flown out anywhere in the world to write for anyone so i think it's just not being shy in yeah. in getting people to hear yeah. your hear your music i guess no definitely and i think just giving it a shot you know you've mm. got nothing to lose at the end of the day absolutely and that email might be that one thing that that changes your life yeah um, that's an awesome yeah. tip to give actually that's an awesome it's tip. it's good and i think you know it's been interesting speaking to you Azim. you're you're the first songwriter medic that i know who happens to be very smart you, you've, you've yeah. got that balance where you know normally you have people that are either creative and you know they're not book smart and they're not really up to date with it whereas for you it seems you've got the best of both worlds no i appreciate um, that i gotta take so it till you make it That's taking it. your stride man and i'm sure you're like six foot very good looking <laughs> like you know like killing it <laughs> Oh man. this is brother abdul is clearly a proper fan girl can you send him a signed copy or something no because you know what i went to the website I don't know, you know, on your website, the songwriting one, there's a song and I was replaying it a lot and I liked it. It's, it's a, it was like a cigar burning or like a cigarette oh, burning. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you know what I'm talking about. What's yeah, it called? A bad um, idea. Bad idea. Oh man, it just, that's out on the street. So, um, no, I've been listening to it. Like, you know feels. what, this guy's sick. <laughs> no, yeah. no, it's been a pleasure and it's good to finally meet. I know, um, I don't think people know, but behind the scenes, you know, we've, we've kind of worked together and been in contact through both Medigate and Bite Medicine. Yeah. Um, but, I want to wish you the best of success and luck, man. Yeah, you already seem you so like much. you know where you're going, where you're heading. Um, My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And like, continue your fantastic work with Scrubbed and Medigate so and much. just everything no. you're doing. No, we all do. Thank you, Azim. All right. And Take thank care, you guys. to all our listeners as well. Take care. Okay.